0: John chapter thir- uh, 1, excuse me, I'm, I'm jumping three chapters ahead, that's like two years from now, okay, I'm just telling you. <laughs> it's, see, look, we started preaching John chapter 1 some nine weeks ago, okay? <laughs> so, we're making very good use of our time, right? We're, we're spending an, an inordinate amount of time to Cerning the scriptures amen that's what we're supposed to do right uh, so this morning i want to start in john chapter one we're going to read verse 34 and 35 <clears throat> and the reason i'm only reading three ver- or two verses is because we're going back to 29 when we're done reading this one okay <laughs> all right uh, john chapter one verse 31 Or 34 and 35, excuse me, 1, 34, and 35. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and his two disciples and looking upon Jesus, he walked, as he walked, uh, as he walked, he said unto them, behold, the Lamb of God. Amen. Now you're like, that's all you're going to preach about today? Yep. That's all I'm preaching about today. Behold the Lamb of God. Now John is is reiterating the next day something that he said the previous day. Amen. If we go back and look at verse 29, which we actually covered last week. Last week we read 29 and it was... Uh, It read just like this The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him saith, behold the Lamb of God Which taketh away the sins of the world Now everybody remembers that Because we talked about how this Is why Jesus came into the world Right? That was our whole topic last week Was the reason Jesus came Was to seek and to save that which is lost Amen? Jesus came into the world To Die an atoning sacrificial death for all who would believe. Amen. So in talking about this, the verses says this. Okay. And it brings up a very important topic. And we're going to cover that topic today. Amen. So we're going to read the verse again in 29. It says the next day Jesus Uh, uh, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Okay? Now we're talking about the atonement, redemption. Amen? The term behold the Lamb of God we talked about last week was the sacrificial portion, Jesus coming to die As a sacrifice for sin, right? Paul teaches us this in Romans, in in, uh, Corinthians, in Galatians, right? All throughout scripture. We talked about last week, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4, where it talks about the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ crucified, dead, buried, and rose again. That's the gospel, right? So we understand this is talking about Jesus' atonement. For sin. Okay. Now I want to quantify this and tell you why I wanted to go back and talk about this. Because although this is a subject that uh, we talked about, we just glanced over it. Amen. And I think it's worth more than just a glance. I think it's worth actually digging into what's being said here and asking simple questions from a complete biblical view, amen? Not just a little portion of scripture, but all of scripture and how all of scripture teaches the atonement of Christ, amen? What did he accomplish on the cross? Who is being saved on the cross? All of these questions are important questions, amen? They're important for a various number of reasons. And we're going to talk about those. Now this verse we discussed in passing last week is John bearing witness to Christ as the ransom and the reason for coming into the world. But we cannot pass this up too quickly and we cannot think nonchalantly or or too uh, casually about what Jesus did. Amen. We can't approach it as, oh yeah, he died on the cross. Next verse, pastor. You know, we we can't be that way with it. Amen. We have to digest this. We have to understand it. We have to know what's going on here. Because there's something said here that could be completely misconstrued. Amen. And we need to get to it. The teaching here and that what we're seeing in this verse is doctrine. Amen. It's a teaching that John understands. And is a teaching John implies throughout his entire book. Amen. The atonement or redemption. This speaks of what Jesus came to do. The doctrine of the atonement and redemption are critical issues in Christianity to understand. They are teaching that must be understood. Amen. The realities of what Jesus came to do are simply not a matter of common things. They are of utmost importance to us who believe. Amen. Spurgeon preached a sermon in 1859 on February 28th at the Royal Surrey Gardens In London in the music hall He preached a sermon called Particular redemption And of redemption Spurgeon says The doctrine of redemption Is one of the most important doctrines In the system of faith A mistake on this one point Will inevitably lead to a mistake In the entirety of our understanding Of the atonement of redemption, and our belief in Christ. So let's look at this verse with new eyes and wade through this doctrine of redemption, of atonement, to discover truth and perhaps grasp and gain a new perspective on what Christ did. Amen? So we're going to read this. Again, and I'm going to show you how this can be misunderstood. John 1 verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now I'm going to stop right here. This is the point. Taketh away the sin of world the world. Let me ask a question. And this is very important in the doctrine of the atonement and the doctrine of redemption. Even if you don't believe in a particular redemption, this first question applies to you. Is everybody going to be saved? It's a very important question because it says that he came to Uh, Let's read it again so I don't mess it up Which taketh away the sin of the world Okay So universalists will use this verse to say that Everybody's going to get saved no matter what That's what they'll say It's very true that they do say that It's out there This is a doctrine that is out there See we see in this the atonement and the redemption Many assume here one of three different positions, and I want to give you those three positions. One, all will be saved, everyone in the whole world. That's the first position. The second position is this. Redemption is simply offered to every individual, and uh, redemption is simply offered to every individual in the world with no specific persons in mind. Now, this is... The view of most Christians, most, well, I won't say most Christians. I'll say most evangelicals, most uh, Baptists, most Pentecostals, most Charismatics, most Protestants of uh, the modern age. I'm going to say it that way. Most Protestants of the modern age believe that redemption is simply offered to every individual in the world With no specific persons in mind. That's the modern teaching. I'm going to get into that. But I want to get to the rest of this first. Okay. Because we're going to go back. And we're going to start at one. Amen. And we're going to talk about it. Three. Redemption is given to a particular numbered persons from every nation, tribe, and tongue of the whole world. That's the third understanding of this verse. Okay, or of the doctrine of atonement Now, going back to number one And then we're going to get to number two Because number two and number three are where most Christians have their disagreement We're going to talk about it, amen Number one, all will be saved is definitely not true Amen Amen Just a few verses to take in mind. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in. Amen? Huh. uh, Verse 14. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So here we see Jesus' teaching that many will go unto destruction, and few will find eternal life. Go to verse, uh, where are we at, 24 or 21? 21. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work in the, uh, what does it say? iniquity. Excuse me, sorry, I misread it. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. So in these verses, we see a group that's going to heaven and a group that's not. We're going to even see a group that thinks they're going to heaven that are not. Come on, let's be real. We're talking about real salvation, not this patty cake, new age Christian stuff that ain't going to save anybody. Amen. This this I can just confess and and nothing don't believe in my heart. I just confess with my mouth. You know what I mean? There's a difference between believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth and just confessing with my mouth. There's a, what is it? The prophet, uh, is it Isaiah or Jeremiah said that they confess me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Amen. Come on, let's be real. We're talking about real things. Luke chapter 13, flip over to Luke chapter 13. Now, it's interesting because, you know, I wanted to go through the book of John, but as I began to keep, you know, as I went forward and was looking at the next, trying to finish the chapter one of John, I thought, man, we can't just leave the atonement and redemption alone. We can't just skip over it. We can't just bypass it. You know what I mean? Because everything else in the book, in the book of John, is going to matter. Amen. Amen. So understanding redemption, understanding atonement, what Christ did on the cross is important. Amen? So, Luke chapter 13, verse 26. Actually, let's go to verse 23 first. Verse 23. Uh, Then said one of them unto the Lord, Are there few that be saved? Because that's a question that we get today, ain't it? I'm going to stop right here and ask you. That's a question that we have today, ain't it? Because people go, oh, man, I see all these people professing Christ. There's going to be so many people in heaven. But are there really going to be few that be saved? Now watch what Jesus says to this question. He said unto them, strive to enter into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. When once the master of the houses rose up, and have shut the door. And ye begin to stand without. And knock on the door saying. Lord, Lord open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you. I know you not whence ye are. Sounds just like Matthew 7 doesn't it? Depart from me. You workers of iniquity. I never knew you. See we're going to get into a point here. Where Jesus knows. Who are his. And those who are his know him. Amen. The realities. Of the atonement. In all of scripture. And how all of the New Testament teaches the atonement. And not just cherry picked verses. Is what we're going to be talking about. Amen. Now. Skip down to verse 26. In Luke 13. Oh I guess we are already there. Ain't we. Then shall ye begin to say, we have eaten and drinking in thy presence, and thou hast taught us in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not when ye are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now it sounds exactly like Matthew 7. Amen? Come on. Now we talked about this before when we talked about All these people that are claiming to be Christians and all, they think that they're good works. You know, I served in the church and I handed out food and I, you know, I I stood behind the pulpit. Being a preacher won't save you. Reading this, come on, we got to be real. God saves. And when you're saved, you're different, you're changed, you have a relationship with Christ. He has one with you. You know him, he knows you. This is born-again experience. Revelations 20, and we're not going to turn there. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, talks about the great white throne judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, we see those whose names was not written in the Lamb's book of life are thrown, cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever Amen. So we can say without a shadow of a doubt that this verse, when it says he came, uh, John, flip back over to John. I don't want to misquote John here. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So what we see here is that not everybody is saved. Period. So when this says world, we must qualify what it's talking about. Amen. Because there's a lot of other verses that say world, world, and whole world, all world, all men, right? But we have to understand that not everybody is going to be saved. first of all. Amen. So when it's saying world, it's not saying world like we're thinking. And I guarantee you when you've read the verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, you're thinking God just loved everybody in the world and everything they were doing. That's not what he's saying. The reality is. The reality is the world means this faith is not just for the Jewish people. John's whole gospel is is to get you to see that Jesus came to save, that we would believe the gospel and come to faith in Christ. Anyone from any tribe, any tongue, any nation. John makes this very clear when we see the redeemed in heaven, right? What does it say? Does it say the whole world is there? No, it says, and I saw on the sea of glass, those wearing white robes from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Amen? The understanding of the world then is that there are going to be a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation that will be saved, but not all people will be saved. Period. Amen? On this, the second and the third group agree. Amen. On this, the second and the third group agree. Now let's get to the second group because the second group is a very important group. We're not talking about these people like they don't have an understanding that Jesus came to save. We're talking about this in the understanding that they're only looking at it from one side of the coin. Amen. Their side. Not God's side. Amen? So this second group of people will say that God has made salvation possible for all men, that all men everywhere are called to repent and believe, and this is based on human free will and not on God's calling or election or His will. It's based on their will. That's half true. Like I said, they have one side of the coin they're looking at. Just one side of the coin. Because scripture teaches far more than that. Amen. And we're gonna get into it. So if you would go with me to John 3. This is the same book, right? This the same letter, same gospel writer, John, right? John three, 16. We're gonna read through verse 20 or 21. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought of God. So we see here, he says, whosoever will, right? That's, that's what it says, right? For, no, yeah. Whosoever believeth in him, right? Whosoever believeth. I want you to underline that. File it away in your memory bank for a minute, okay? Keep it in your pocket, okay? Hold on to it. Whosoever believes in him. Because that's the question, my friend. Who believes? Just file it away. <clears throat> Number two. Go to Romans chapter 10. We know this verse very well. Very famous portion of scripture where Paul says that if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth. Right? We we know this. We know this verse. This is not a new verse. I'm not reading to you some new Bible scripture that I jotted down in there on my own. This is Paul's own hand. Amen. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. <laughs> now we have this here again. Whosoever believeth on him. Amen. All of us agree on these verses, by the way. All of us do. Keep going, First John chapter two, and this is probably the one that will everybody would pull out in verse or in the second group and say, "Aha, see, aha, right there, Kevin. Ah, oh, see." Am I right? They're going to. That's what happens. <clears throat> We're going to read verse one too. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And most people will say, right there. See, Kevin, the whole world. Well, we just clarified a minute ago that the whole world isn't going to be saved. Amen. So we got to understand the understanding of Jewish people and atonement. You didn't go make atonement for just any old body. You didn't go up there with a bull or a goat and sacrifice it for whosoever. You sacrificed it for your sins. There was a particular reason for the sacrifice. There was a particular people that was being sacrificed for. Right? Who's getting sacrifice for? Whosoever will believe. The sacrifice does not apply to whosoever won't believe. This is obvious. Amen? It's for those who will believe. We've read it twice now, right? Read it a third time. Not for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So we understand that it's not the whole world that we're talking about, but... That this whole world that John, notice that this is the book of John and the epistle of 1 John, which is the same author telling you the same thing, that it's not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles. It's for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, which John wrote Revelation. So we understand a theme going through John's book of the world and who he thinks the world is. Amen? Amen. So when he says world, he's not meaning every single humanity, every single person in humanity is going to be saved. That's not what he's meaning. He's meaning people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who will believe. Right? We all agree on this. 2 Timothy 1, 12. Flip back to the before Hebrews. To Timothy. 2 Timothy Chapter 1 verse 12. It says this. For, which, uh, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep. That which I have committed to him against that day. That verse right there. Let's go to. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, because I believe that's actually the verse that I wanted. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Remember where that is? Is it Romans 1? I must have just wrote it down wrong. Romans 1, that's what we want. Romans 1. Man, that's what happens when you write fast. Romans 1. Yeah, thanks for Kyle, huh? Bless Kyle's heart. <laughs> Verse was it 18, 16. Yeah, here we go. 1 16 in Romans for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Notice that the gospel is not the power of God to those who don't believe. Only to them who believe. Amen. So the gospel is even applied only to those who believe. Redemption then is applied to those who believe believe. Amen. Now. The problem comes in. Let's go to Acts. Before I get sidetracked on that problem. Go to Acts. We got one more verse. That talks about redemption. In this way. So that we can understand. Anyone who, who has an understanding. That God made redemption. For everyone. And it's just a blanket thing. And. God's not in it. It's totally based on human free will. What they're seeing is only the human side of the coin, because where I don't want to blow my bubble up here. I'm gonna I keep I'm gonna tease you with that one, okay? I'm gonna tease you with it. Acts chapter seventeen, verse thirty, okay? Acts seventeen thirty. And the uh, yeah, am I in the right place? Yeah. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commendeth or commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Wow! So what is he talking about here? Every all men everywhere to repent. He's obviously talking about the general call of God that all men should repent and believe. But we know for sure that all men will not. Repent and believe The problem And the discussion happens When we talk about why Men won't believe Why men aren't repenting Amen So here we have the, uh, The understanding Of whosoever will Whosoever believes Three different verses Right to everyone that believes Right God commands all men Everywhere to repent. So we see this from a human perspective. The human perspective is this. We don't know whosoever will. From our perspective, it looks very random. It looks like I just, I, I'm, I don't know about you, Tammy, but I don't know who's going to say yes. I don't know who's going to say no. I don't even know who's elect and who isn't elect. By the way, that word elect is in the New Testament more than more than you think. Some 50-some times. Elect, election, predestination. Oh, don't say that word in church. People get mad at you. Even though it's in the Bible. Romans 8. For those he foreknew, he did predestinate. And those whom he did predestinate, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Notice that it didn't say the one whom, because that's the argument most of the time. is It's oh, he's just talking about Jesus. He predestinated Jesus. He's not talking about Jesus. He says those, 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 those particular people in mind at salvation. Because God is not confused by whosoever will. He doesn't see whosoever will. The problem that I see, there's a few problems that I see with this understanding of only looking at one side of the coin. Does the act of salvation happen by God or does it happen by my free will? Because that's what the argument is. The argument is, oh, God doesn't make people robots. Nobody said he does. People do have free will, but the honest person that will look at scripture, we'll see in John 6 it says, No one comes to me unless the Father draws me, draws them. In other words, God initiates salvation every single time. That means the words of Jesus are absolutely true that you didn't choose me. I chose you. Amen. The realities of Scripture is that God works the work of salvation, not me. I may respond, amen, but I don't start it. And salvation is not determined by me just making a choice. Because if that was true, nobody wants to go to hell, okay? Okay. There's not a single solitary person on this planet that when push comes to shove and the flames of hell are licking at their face that would rightly choose to go there. They would not. The problem is, is that we are rebellious in our heart and we want to have our way right up until it's time to... Right? And then you're going to have a lot of people, Lord, 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 Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Second problem I see with this is does God have nothing to do with salvation? Because here's what I see. Okay. And this is the way that modern church teaches. And I say modern church because this was not a doctrine that was predated in, in the church history. Okay. Okay. Church history, almost every single person believed in the election of God. Now, the election of God for the Arminian was a little more loose. And they believed that God knew but didn't make. And we can have that debate and that's fine. But everyone believed that God did elect. That was church history. Amen? Even the apostles, and I'm going to show you. Even the Apostle John. And I'm going to show you. Amen. God is not ignorant of who is who. God knows who are his. Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, said, you don't know my words. And you, you can't understand my words. And you don't hear my words because you're not of my sheepfold. You're not my people. He argued with them. Oh, we're sons of Abraham. He said, If you were a child of Abraham, then you would know and believe in me because Moses and Abraham, they all testified to me. But because you're not your children of the devil, you seek to stone me. See, Jesus' words here seem surprisingly different than how we. Represent this gospel nowadays Now I'm going to give you my Interpretation of this Gospel that's being preached And what it says is that God made Salvation possible But you have to choose And only when you choose Are you then the elect Now there's a problem with this In scripture the problem is Is that God is all knowing Right Right God is all-powerful, right? The name Elohim means the most high, right? The name Yahweh is all-powerful, most high, right? So we understand that God is all-knowing and all-powerful. And what I hear in this gospel is that salvation is just kind of made possible for everybody. But God's sitting there just waiting to know who the elect are. This could not be further from what scripture teaches us. Scripture does not see God as some kind of limited being that is just just waiting. Just doesn't know who's going to make this decision and who's going to make that decision. Right? Now for anybody that says, well, I believe God knows who's going to make the decision. I just don't believe God makes them make the decision. I would agree with you. God doesn't make anybody make a decision. That doesn't mean God didn't choose them from the foundation of the world like the Bible says. He said he chose us. He didn't say he chose Christ from the foundation of the world. He said he chose us in Christ from the foundation of the world. That means God knew who his people were going to be before he ever even spoke the words, let there be light. He knew. That you and you and you and you and you and you were his. That's what it says. Paul preached this and got stoned for it. Paul preached this and got ransacked out of town for it. Paul preaches in Romans 9, and we'll talk about it because they asked him this very question Jacob I love, Esau I hated. Before they ever did anything wrong, Paul said, God chose Jacob. Why? So that his election might be sure. And that's what the scripture says. Not me. It's what the scripture says. So we see two sides of the coin of salvation. Whereas the second view is only giving you the human perspective on salvation. From our human perspective. It is whosoever will Because we don't know who they are That will believe But God does And God is not confused by it God not one time ever thought oh, I didn't see that one saying yes Never once did God say Oh man it shocked me that they did not say yes What kind of God are we talking about that would be shocked and appalled at who does and who doesn't is God God is he really all knowing is he really all powerful is he really sovereign is he really these things or do we just say those things to make ourselves feel good but still trust in our own self for salvation because the reality is the Bible says that salvation is of the Lord period If we could have saved ourselves by just simply choosing to do right, then Christ would not have died. The reality is that we were lost, dead in sin, dead in trespasses, lost with no hope until the gospel shined on me and opened my eyes and opened my heart that I would say yes freely by my own will and anybody that is damned is freely of their own will choosing what they want to do this is true but it still does not nullify the other side of the coin that God elects God chooses God saves this is taught in scripture as the other side of the coin of redemption This is all true we believe that whosoever will we believe this does not mean we just uh, we but uh, we do believe this but does not mean that salvation is at an act of pure human will Does God have nothing to do with salvation question mark Is God ignorant of those who will decide until they decide this is not taught in scripture at all. So I want to move on to the third view. And I'm only doing this because, like I said, I don't disagree with anything that we just read on the first view. We do freely choose. We do have a free will. But God has to move on the heart of a person for they're saved. That is absolutely, fundamentally A fact. And that means that God does the choosing, not you. And praise God. God. Right. Some people get so bent out of shape, and they're like, well, that means you know we're just robots. No, it doesn't. You're a robot before you're saved. You're a slave to sin and you serve sin. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you're not following him, you're a child of the devil. Amen. And you're going to seek to serve your father. That's what he said. Not even that. You would you have even made it if God didn't open your eyes in the first place? Because that's the question. Will I, as a dead, sinful person who does not love God, does not want God, does not want to be anywhere near God, remember John three nineteen that they don't come into the light because their deeds are evil and for fear that their deeds will be exposed, they don't come into the light. That's why Adam in the Garden of Eden, as soon as he sinned and he heard the, uh, it says he heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the garden. He ran with Eve and hid themselves, Because sin drives us away from God. And the sinful nature that we inherit from Adam gives us only death. Amen. Let's move on to the next point. I don't want to leave it here because that sounds like a hopeless. A hopeless point to just leave it right there. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew 20. And I'm going to go through a bunch of verses very quickly. Okay. I just strung about. I don't know, 18 verses here together. And they all talk about the same subject. Uh, Matthew 20, verse 28. Now I want to show you, and this is said in more than one place, and you can go look it up on your own. But here, in verse 28, he says, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Does not say all. Does not say the whole world. Ransom for many. Now watch this. John 10 verse 15. We're going to go back to John and his gospel. Verse 15. As the father knoweth me, even so I know the father and I lay my life down for my sheep. Now we could get into this because Jesus says my sheep know my voice. I know who my sheep are. Matter of fact, he goes beyond that and says that the father gave him his sheep. We don't like that talk. Because we, we want to believe in the new modern, you know, just blanket evangelifishism. Yeah, I use it. You like that, don't you, Mike? Because modern evangelifish. They want it to be for everybody even though not everybody's going to get saved. They want it to be for anybody and everybody and it is from our perspective because we don't know but from God's side of the coin he absolutely knows who he has chose, who he has chosen, who will choose, who won't, who he's not. He knows all of that. None of it is a mystery to him. Now watch this. Acts chapter 20, verse 2. Acts chapter 20, verse 2. And when he had gone over to, the, to those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came unto Greece, and there abode three... Why in the world did we put that one in there? I wrote the wrong one down again. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. You know, sometimes when you're just writing verses down, you get the wrong address and then you may make yourself look silly when you're standing up here preaching. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. If I can find Ephesians, I'll, I'll say amen when I get there. Amen. Ephesians 5. verse 25 this is is definitely the one I wanted now I want you to notice this now this is an exhortation to husbands but he says something very important in it watch this husbands love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her Notice, this verse is saying that Christ gave his life for the church. This also agrees with everything in the second group. Because Christ died for those who will believe. He did not die for people who won't believe. The atoning sacrifice was only made in Jerusalem by those who believed God would forgive their sin if they brought a bull or a goat to kill it. So only those who believe in the sacrificial death of Christ will be saved. And the question then remains, why in the world does anybody believe at all The answer is very clear. Go with me uh, to John. We're going to go back to John. You can go to John 1 to start with. John 1, and we read this last week. Actually, we went back and read it on purpose last week, but I want to read it again. Uh, Verse 12 and 13, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now watch this. Because this verse, if you take it by itself, how many of you know that if you take a verse all by itself, that you could walk in error just taking one verse and not having context about what that verse means? Because most people will say, well, see, Pastor, right here it says that these people believed and then they're given the power to become the sons of God. Let's read it the next verse. Context matters. Amen. The next verse says, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Do you see how he's getting you out of the way? Do you see how he's eliminating you? Not born of flesh, How many of you are in the flesh? Not born of blood. That means bloodlines. Not being a Jew. Not being a Hebrew. Come on. Are we seeing what John's talking about yet? Number three. Not of the will of man. And that eliminates everybody else. But of God. You are not born of your flesh. You're not born of your bloodline. You're not born of your own will. You are born again by the will of God. That's what it says. Lastly, go to John 6. We're going to jump through John now, okay? Because John goes to extreme measure to record Jesus' words on the subject that we are talking about. John chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 39, and we may read quite a bit here, okay? John 6, starting at verse 39, says, well, I think I want to start even before that, okay? Go to verse 35, because there's even more, and I just missed it, okay? John six thirty five and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And right there again, if you only take this verse and, 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 and throw this verse out there, it says it again, doesn't it? Whoever believes on me, whoever comes to me. But you have to read this in the context of everything Jesus is about to say and not by itself. <laughs> Here he says, but I say to you that ye have also seen me and have not believed. Now, watch this. This is very important. You can underline it in your Bible, highlight it, draw a circle around it, put arrows pointing to it, point arrows pointing away from it. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now, chances are, if you're an evangelic fish, The only part of this verse that you have ever heard is he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. That's the verse they like. And they disregard the fact that God did the choosing. Because it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Uh Uh-oh. We're seeing a different thing being said here. Keep going. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will But the will of him who sent me Now this is very important because he's about to tell you What the father's will is Watch this And this is the father's will Which he hath sent me That all which he has given me I shall lose nothing But should raise it up again at the last day And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Notice that he says, whoever looks to the Son and believes. So it's true, whosoever will believe. But the truth is that only those whosoever will believe are the ones that God is making believe fundamentally true God moves on the heart of men to change it if he did not none of us would say yes the question has to be asked before it can be answered correct now let's keep going Because they started murmuring, much like probably some of you are in your mind right now going, Kevin has lost his mind and I'm tired of listening and I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to eat this lunch. I don't even know if I'm staying for lunch now. (laughs) The Jews then murmured at him because he had said, I'm the bread of life which comes down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, in the first part of this discourse, he spoke of it as it. I'll raise it up in the last days. Now, what's it? I'm going to tell you unequivocally It. Is the church, those who will believe. That's the it, the church, his bride. Those who will believe. Now watch this. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father, come Unto me not that any man has seen the father save he which is from the father, he seeth the father. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me shall have everlasting life. Wow. So now we see the qualification of verse thirty-five and verse forty-seven. The qualification is the father drawing the father calling the father amen and those who believe are saved and it's still whosoever will and it still doesn't eliminate the fact that when your heart is getting enlightened you say yes I want that amen That's how we also can know for sure that the born again experience produces change. And it's not just this blanket that's thrown out there where God's hoping that somebody will believe, that God's just waiting to find out who's going to believe. It's not like that. God already knows. He knows all things. Not only does he know all things, here's the last verse that I want to give you, okay? We could go. I could go to John 8 and 47. I could go to John 10 and 26, John 15, 16. It's all throughout the book of John. I could go to Acts thirteen, forty-eight. Acts 16, 14, all of Romans 8, all of Romans 9 talks about this very subject of God predestinating God electing God choosing and man still has free will now do you see how I said one the number two people they're teaching right but they're only teaching one side of the coin they're only teaching the human perspective And I am telling you that if you take the whole Bible and not just the parts that feel good to you, take the stuff that doesn't make you feel comfortable. It's there. Amen. Turn with me to Romans 9 real quick. I want to show you a verse that makes everyone uncomfortable, including the pastor that's preaching this message right now. Doesn't make me feel like, ooh, I'm so excited about this. But it's there. And if it's there, we must understand why it's there. And not gloss over it. Not ignore it. But look at it. Amen? Now watch this. Is it? Is it? Is it nine? Yeah. He shows mercy on who he will. Romans 14. What then? No, I want to start before there. Uh, verse 9, for this is the word of promise that this time will come and Sarah shall have a son and not only this but when Rebekah had conceived by one even by our father Isaac for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or any evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works But of him who calleth, it was said to her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Now that's the question we all ask, because that's the question we come to when we come to electionism. It's unfair. God's not being just. God's being unfair. That's the question, right? Every one of us have that question when we read this scripture. When I read it, when I read it the first time, when I read it the 300th time, it still makes me go, oh, because it's uncomfortable. Amen. Now he answers the question. He says, is there unrighteousness in God? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth but of God who showeth mercy for the scriptures saith unto Pharaoh even for the same purpose I have raised thee up that I might show my power in thee that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Why is he bringing up Pharaoh? Because God purposely deliberately hardened Pharaoh's heart. And this is a hard doctrine to wrestle with because the reality is it puts us in our position. Watch, I'll show you how it does because it puts me with you. I'm not alone. Thank you for joining me. Therefore I have mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will harden, he hardeneth. Verse 19, thou wilt say then, why doth God find fault for who hath resisted his will? I like how the ESB says, who can resist his will? Who can resist God's will? Why is God going to find fault? Because there's two things that are true. God chooses and you choose. Both of those are true. Both of those are biblical. Now watch this. Nay, but, O man, who art thou to reply against God? Shall the thing being formed say to that that formed it, Why hast thou made me this way? Wow. Hath not the potter over the clay the same right to make of one vessel honor and another of dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath to make known his power endured? (coughs) much long-suffering the vessels of wrath to be destroyed, that he might make known the riches on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore, afore, meaning previously, prepared for glory. Even us whom he called, not of Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now see, here's how we... Here's how we got to end this, and I'm going to end it with a scripture, okay? <laughs> Go with me, if you will, to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Now, I know there's some people going, I just don't know if I'm coming back next week. Man, I don't know if I can handle this, Pastor. You- Uh, Look, next week we're going to be talking about Jesus choosing his disciples, picking them, amen, and then we're going to talk about how they all reacted, who John is in all this, amen, because you'll notice that John doesn't name himself in the book of John. He talks about John the Baptist, but he never once mentions his own name, and many believe it's so that he could glorify Christ in the book because the whole point of the book in John 21 and 30 is that Uh, Hold on what he say? I write these things unto you that you might believe Jesus is the Christ And that believing in him you might have life In his name That's the whole purpose of John writing the book So his name was irrelevant to him While he wrote the book Amen And that's basically what we're going to be talking about next week The the disciples Jesus first chose You know John and Andrew and then Peter and his brother You know uh, uh, John's brother James and Nathaniel, and, amen? We're going to talk about that next week. But I could not let this week go by without talking about the doctrine of redemption. Because this doctrine is very important for us to understand. Now, you don't have to absolutely wrap your mind around all of this to believe, amen? We can all agree that anybody that ever says, yes, Jesus really, truly believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth, they are saved. They may not really understand this doctrine, but they are saved. Amen. I'm not standing up here saying if you don't get all this, that you're damned and going to hell. I'm not telling you that. What I'm saying is this is in Scripture, and we need to be willing to look at it face to face and understand that it's there. Understand that God is working all things out for the good of them huh? whom he called. According to his good purpose Amen That's another verse for you on that subject I just came to me <laughs> Alright Psalm 115 And I want to read from verse 1 to verse 3 Not unto us O Lord Not unto us But unto thy name give glory For thy mercy And thy truth's sake Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to read out of the ESV so you can get a little little more context because I think the ESV just gives a little bit more oomph to this understanding. Amen? Psalm 115 in the ESV. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Amen. That's what the doctrine of election teaches. That's what the doctrine of redemption teaches. Not just that we choose God, but God first chose me. That's absolutely biblical. That's absolutely what happens. No one in the history of Christianity first came to God before God ever came to them. It did not happen. No one ever has just walked up to God and been like, hey, you ain't talked to me yet. It's my turn. God always, always, always talks to the heart of the believer first. Every time. Without exception. Now today you might be here and you're going, I still don't know if I believe all this. That's fine. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm telling you what scripture says it's there whether you want to wrestle with it or not sometimes you got to be just like Jacob amen sometimes you got to be just like Jacob and say look Lord this this hurts and I'm wrestling with you amen you got to be like Hannah you got to keep praying until you come through amen you gotta you got come on remember Hannah prayed on sackcloth and ashes this woman in the temple in the tabernacle praying to God right for a child. Sometimes the doctrines that we understand that are in scripture that are difficult, and I understand people don't preach this today, okay? They, you won't see, you know, Joel Osteen preaching any of this, okay? You won't see T.D. Jakes or, or any of them other people with big names preaching this. You know why? Because it doesn't sell. It doesn't fill seats. But it is the truth, and it is in God's word. So my admonition to you is. This should give you peace. First of all. Because God does all things good. Know what the scripture says. God does all things good. God is righteous in all his ways. His judgments are without reproach. Amen. So if God. From. From. Eternity past knew that Michael York or Brian O'Connor were going to be his. That should give you peace and hope. And it should give you security. Second of all, we still preach the gospel to whosoever will. Because number two, we don't know who they are. And I must preach to everyone, repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ because that's my only job. I don't ever save anybody. God always saves. All I do is preach Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sin. And whoever believes is whoever believes. Amen. In the end. God works all things for the good of them who love him and are called according to his good purpose. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I know that we have breached a very deep, very deep pool of doctrine this morning, God, that we have waited and Head deep and sometimes way over our head. And Lord, I will not stand up here and pretend that I understand how all of these things work. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, God, that they are true. That you are true. And Lord, this morning, as we have wrestled with this doctrine, as we've wrestled, With this teaching, God, if we are still not done, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us, that we would wrestle with this some more. That we would see your truth, God, not as a a, a sign of hopelessness, but of great hope. Lord, that we may not know whosoever will, but we truly know that you do. Lord, we ask that you would help us to preach the gospel. Like everyone would be saved. That everyone would repent and believe the gospel. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen and amen.